You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey everybody, CJ here. Welcome to episode 201 of the Dangerous History Podcast. This episode is going to be a rebroadcast of a conversation I had recently with good friend Brett Vinat of the School Sucks podcast. And he had me on as one of his, what he called, Hi, How Are You? miniseries, talking to different people that he knows in different parts of the country about how they're handling the COVID situation and what they're seeing in their neck of the woods, all that sort of stuff. So we talk about that sort of stuff. We also talk a bit about historical perspectives and possible predictions and so forth. But anyway, I thought it was a really good conversation. And when Brett put it out on his feed, I initially, you know, linked to it as an appearance of mine on another show. But then I figured after a little while, I'd also put it out as a DHP episode, just in case any of you who listen to my show don't already listen to Brett's. Although if that's the case, shame on you. You need to rectify that immediately. But anyway, I thought this was a very interesting conversation, and I wanted to make sure that anybody who listens to the DHP that didn't already catch this gets an opportunity to hear it. So here you go. Please enjoy my discussion from a little over a week ago with Brett Finot of School Sucks. We're going to return to our regular podcast very soon, but for now, these shows start with me saying, hi, how you doing, CJ? Hey, very happy to be here at the end of all things. I was saying to you before we started, I wanted to take three approaches to this conversation. The first one you actually suggested about libertarian individualists finding an opportunity in crisis angle, I think is, is really important or seeing what opportunities there are. But also, you know, you're a historian, you're a college professor, and you're a parent. So why don't we start with the, uh, and I, I wanted to pursue all three of those in different ways, but why don't we start actually with the historian's look at the current situation? Do you feel this is perhaps the worst crisis the country's ever faced? Um, in and of itself, as of now, not necessarily, but it could. And here's what I mean by that. If you look at the disease itself and even the worst case scenario projections of what the disease itself will actually do, it's not that big of a deal in terms of like, you know, lethality and all that compared to, for example, something I just started researching a little bit for um, an upcoming episode, probably will take me at least a month or two to, to put it together. But naturally, when all this stuff started to go down, like a lot of people who know some history, I thought of the 1918 flu pandemic, sure. the Spanish flu. And so I, I've started to look into that because I was, I was always aware of it, but I started to look into that, you know, with the intention of, of making some, some shows on it. And so, I mean, just in my preliminary 
research into that pandemic, it's like there's no way that coronavirus is capable of doing what the Spanish flu did. I mean, the Spanish flu killed more people than World War One. Yep. Like that's there's no way coronavirus is doing that. Um, and and same thing if you look back at earlier things, right? Like the the Black Death in Europe, those sorts of things. It's like this is just not capable of doing what those things did as a disease. Yeah. 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 Just the disease a la carte. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but I've been, you know, when this stuff first started to, to be a big item in the news a month or two ago, at first I was skeptical because we've had these scares before in, in fairly recent memory, right? Swine flu and all that sort of stuff. And they always end up being for one reason or another, you know, not nearly as, as catastrophic as the media plays out. So, of course, it's a boy who cried wolf situation, right? When the media starts to say, oh, this is something to be worried about. It's like, yeah, I heard it. I like this better the first time when it was called swine flu. Um, right, but, yeah, yeah. But, but when it started to really get a little more serious and it started to look a little bit more, you know, like it might be a big deal, ever since then, and in continuing right now to this recording, and this is always subject to change if things change, but I am and have been for weeks more concerned with sort of three things that could come out of this, well, that will come out of this to some degree. One is the economic crash, which has already, you know, started. Right. The second is the crisis and Leviathan angle of the state, as always, using an opportunity to, to ratchet up its power and ratchet down everybody's freedom right? Far out of proportion to what actually might be reasonable measures to take against the threat, just like the U.S. government did against uh, jihadi terrorists and against the Red Menace back in the Cold War. You know, it's like blow the threat, which might be real at some level, but blow it all out of proportion to justify, you know, just insanity. And then the third thing that also concerns me is public hysteria, which obviously, you know, gets gets amped up by the media, by the politicians, etc. And so, you know, people sometimes with some good reason and sometimes not losing their minds and, you know, the, the possibility of violent crime going up, the possibility of things like riots and and other, you know, sorts of destructive social consequences. So those, those three things have always concerned me more since this thing really started going than the disease itself. And, you know, part of it's because I'm relatively young. I'm in my late thirties. I'm now for, you know, the last year and three months or whatever, um, fit and healthy. So, you know, personally, I'm not that worried to be honest with you. Um, and this is just sort of a side note, but I actually am very suspicious. I might've had COVID back in January. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people actually say this. Yeah. 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 But, but that's a, that's a different story, but you know, so yeah, looking at it as a, as a historian, it is possible that we could be looking at at, at a real catastrophic thing, and it's not just the disease itself. It's, it's the economy, uh, it's, it's the social unrest, it's the state grabbing more power, and then there is one other potential wildcard problem that could happen, which is, for one reason or another, um, war. Because war often correlates in history with, with plagues, Either a plague uh, precedes a war or a plague comes as a result of a war. And then also wars often correlate with economic uh, crashes and depressions, right? It's not a coincidence that after 10 years of global Great Depression, World War II happens. That The timing is not an accident there. Right. Um, so that's the other, you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit less 
likely or certain or whatever than, than the other things I mentioned, but you know, the possibility that maybe just to distract their own population, maybe because of um, competition over resources and who knows what, right? That a major war could come out of this as well. Well, so, yeah. So, so here's something that we're already seeing and it relates to a couple of those things. There is uh, obviously the, the current enemy has this invisibility, right? So it, it is a situation and, you know, Paul Burge and I talked about this in the last installment um, uh, comparable to nine 11, as far as like a, a fear and a public vigilance and a government response. That's obviously going to result in less freedom for, uh, everybody like it, it has those tie-ins but there is no clear enemy so what we see i think is a lot of people with a lot of energy looking to direct it somewhere and this is you know coming after like you know three or four years of just politics and and you know social interactions in this country where you know i've been saying we can't afford a crisis right now with how uh you know, cancel culture and how divided the country is and people looking to blame each other for things. But there's no one to blame here. I mean, you could watch the TV and they could say, oh, it's Trump's fault because he didn't respond in time. And then Republicans could turn around and say, oh, well, you know, it's the New York governor and the New York mayor's fault because they told people to go to the movies or whatever, ride the subway. So there's a little bit of that kind of blame. But what um, what really concerns me is a kind of horizontal policing that we're starting to see about shaming people for, for going outside or not doing what the government says. And I'm not saying that it isn't, um, I, I do think it is irresponsible right now to like be around other people or to continue to have social gatherings or to run your business irresponsibly or to not take safety precautions, whatever they may be. Like, I agree with that, but People are looking for somewhere to direct their fear and anger, whatever the negative emotions they're feeling. And it looks like a lot of it already in the early stage of this is being like in this horizontal policing kind of situation. Have you observed that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's always a danger. It's certainly, you know, it's what you saw in various times during the Cold War. Uh, with with people, you know, right. being blacklisted and having their careers ruined, and sometimes other consequences, and you know, the the response very often being disproportionate and very indiscriminate. Right? I mean, we can we can all remember examples after nine eleven in our own lives if we're old enough. And you know, you World know, War One, CJ, is another great example. Like after World yeah. War One and the and the Spanish flu goes through, you know, you see resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan. You see the first right. Red Scare. So so people are very very fearful, very on edge, and they're looking for a place to direct that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the the state and the people both often yep. will react disproportionately and indiscriminately. And in fact, the the Post World War One crackdown, you know, with the Palmer raids and all that, uh, really, that was all that was already starting to take place during World War One too, where you had all these vigilante groups, some of them kind of formal and organized, and some of them not, who weren't even like actually part of the state. These were just self-appointed patriotic vigilantes. Yep. And you know, they'd they'd spy on their neighbors. They they would in some cases beat people up and torture them and whatever. And sometimes their victims would be someone who gave an anti-war speech. And sometimes it would be something as innocuous as a German American who says good morning to his neighbor in a German neighborhood in, you know, Missouri or something like this and says good morning in German. And and some patriotic vigilante, here's this guy speaking that evil, you know, kraut 
talk. Right. And then next thing you know, there's like virtually a lynching happening, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, you know, concerned about that level of things too. And, and yeah, I mean, people, it, it's, it's like a classic witch hunting sort of a scenario that's beginning to take form. So yeah, it's concerning. So, and then just to switch to the government side of that too, I mean, the United States is a a sort of total state or a super state in ways that it was not, as far as the number of aspects of people's lives that it is able to reach into, especially post 9-11, even though that's been the gradual creep all through the 20th century as well. And it's like I've said, you know, on the show before, like... 15 years ago, you could have a conversation about this without it getting political. 20 years ago, you could have a conversation about this without it getting political. But as the government extends politics into more and more aspects of our everyday lives, that gets harder and harder to do. Everything becomes healthcare, getting on an airplane. All of these things are now very political conversations. So um, even even sports, even sports and the weather, which used to be the classic small talk topics, right? Because if you start talking about sports, next thing you know, you're talking about kneeling during the national anthem. Yeah, exactly. And if you talk about the weather, next thing you know, you're talking about climate change and, and how to respond to that. You know, so right. even sports and the weather is political now. So not only is there division that's extended into anything, there's also all of those things, but there's also government control that's extended into all of those things. Um, sure. You know, at the same time. Now, uh, the other side of that is... And I'm afraid the answer is no. I like to hold out some amount of hope. But using the lessons of 9-11, and this is something that I've tried to, you know, just apply to my own response to this, because obviously I didn't have those lessons when when 9-11 happened. I didn't have most of the knowledge that I have today. I didn't have the perspective. I didn't understand the risk of, uh, you know, government ratcheting up power, or not even ratcheting up power, just cranking up power all in one move because of a, a public panic. Um, will people go for it again? And I think the answer is like there might be some lessons learned and there might be more voices advising against that or warning against that. But most people, if they're reduced to fear and desperation, they will absolutely accept whatever it's going to be. Now, that includes not just, you know, security crackdowns um, and, and something that, that moves more towards what looks like martial law, even if there is never a full declaration of martial law. Um, but we see more and more steps. Like you cannot predict. And, you know, I've talked to people and they've said, well, you know, it, this is how it is here as I'm like just trying to predict what I'm going to do a week from now. And I say what it is today almost doesn't matter, almost can't tell us anything about what a week from now in that place will look like. You know, as far as how the, I think the public is going to maintain this like sort of nervous equilibrium for a while, but I don't, I don't think that's going to last. And, you know, things are even happening as far as like, you know, the government response faster than I thought it would. So yeah, it's very hard to, to predict the future, but we know more of this is coming. And then we know that, you know, they're firing up the, well, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, they're not literally firing up the printing presses, but money is being put into the system at almost a, a limitless level, like we've never seen before, as far as the creation of new Federal Reserve notes is is concerned. And that's going to have uh, an outcome at, at some point. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, those are the things that, that most concern me about this. And I think that just, you know, backs up your point as like, yeah, we have this disease. It has a, you know, b- between a one and two percent fatality rate in this country and it's different around the world uh different different areas might be experiencing slightly different forms of it like in italy they might have something that is more deadly there there could be numerous other factors contributing to that as well but you know it looks like 
we know at at this point for this you know winter into spring season we know what the capabilities of the disease are but it's the response from the government and from the public that are really the wild cards right now yeah yeah and and one way i think about it is this think about like a classic george romero zombie movie right at the end of the day the zombies are a threat but what always ends up happening in those sorts of movies right is that and even to the walking even in the walking dead to some extent where Sooner or later, you start to realize that, oh, yeah, the zombies are a threat and a problem, but it's actually the people that are causing more problems and are more of a threat than just the zombies by themselves. The zombies are a catalyst, and that's why I, I, I was never really like a Walking Dead fan, but I said, oh, that's a clever title because it's talking about the people. Right? Yeah. They're yeah, the Walking yeah. Dead because they're going to yeah. kill each other. Right. Yeah. yeah. And walk, walking Dead, by the way, I, I loved like the first couple of seasons, and then I, I completely passed on it after that. But I, I thought the first couple of seasons were pretty solid. But. So I, I played a video game once, and that was my only interaction with it, and that was enjoyable. It was like uh, one of those role-playing, I don't know. I, I, Brett, don't talk about video games. You don't know anything. Uh, but I remember years ago, yeah, and I, I got pretty into it. Anyway, uh, hopefully it doesn't come to, to, to that. I mean, this won't bring us to that, I don't think. But um, as far as, I mean, we agree, though, that the, the state of society as far as how people communicate and how people, um, you know, are, are pitted against each other today, that's unprecedented. The amount of power that the government already has is unprecedented. The number of things it reaches into is unprecedented. So this is, this is a new kind of circumstance. Maybe it's not even fair to try and compare it to anything that's happened before. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some historical precedent and parallels in different ways to different times and places, but you know, nothing that has the precise combination of things happening in, in this technological realm, right? Because there's all these wild cards where we can look back on previous uh, uh, depressions and crises and epidemics and all these sorts of things and see how it played out. But this is in, these are in eras where they didn't have the internet. These are in eras where, you know, there's no cell phones, there's no social media, there's none of these things. And so it becomes tricky to, to try and forecast exactly how it'll play out. Because even if you're looking back at the 13th century or something like that, there's still way more variables than you could ever fully take into account as far as how something is going to play out. And then you think about how many more variables there are today. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky. Uh, I mean, it, I, I hope it ends up playing out less bad than I worry that it might play out. <laughs> I guess that's the best, the, the best way I could put it. Okay. So let's at this point say we have the historical piece, uh, the historical angle of this whole situation out of the way, and we can move on to like, CJ, where are you? What's it like there? And how are you doing with uh, everything that's happening? Well, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Um, I've seen your Facebook post, and it seems to suggest that. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to to do the best I can, and part of it is um, so you're in Florida, by the way, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm and I'm lucky where I'm at. I'm in a I'm in kind of a a mid-sized populated area of Florida. It's not the sticks, but I'm not in any of the big metro areas. I'm about halfway in between Daytona and St. Augustine. And 
I've got relatives down in South Florida in the Miami Fort Lauderdale Metroplex, and things are definitely a bit more, bit more ominous um, seeming down there just because you've got population density that's, you know, it's not quite New York City level, but it's pretty high. Um, but yeah, where I'm at in North Florida so far, I mean, you know, there's the stuff that's happening everywhere, store shelves uh, being a little bit bare sometimes of certain things. And definitely, you kind of get a feeling when you're out and about in the world that that everyone's a little bit nervous and whatever. But yeah. so far, it's not it's not been been too terribly, um, you know, bad as far as that goes. Another thing I'm interested in is just something that I've been asking people as I've been talking to them because I, I I think I've been I, I'm trying to decide based on the places that I've been, um, and, and adjusting it appropriately. For, uh, you know, for Pittsburgh, which was a city when I left, there were no reported cases there. I knew that didn't really mean anything as far as like how many people might have been infected there. And it's it's a fairly densely populated area coming to southern New Hampshire where people are more spread out. But there's also like a proximity to very affected areas, uh, you know, like in, in Boston, Massachusetts, in the North Shore of Massachusetts. And, you know, you think I, I mean, there's an attitude in New Hampshire. I mean, obviously, it's the live for your die state and historically that's been a great attitude here uh but there's also like i grew up here and it's pretty safe to say that nothing bad ever happens here right Mm -hmm. so i i don't think including people in my own family they they didn't have like any kind of preparation for like okay yeah bad stuff can happen in the country and the country can be affected as a whole but nothing bad ever happens here that's why we're here that's why we you know moved here when i was a baby because it's you know very blissful Sure. Um, but one of the things that we're starting to see is that, you know, for people who are, live elsewhere in the country or the world, uh, the geography of New England is you could drive for an hour and be in three states. So, um, you know, people who live in the greater Boston area have houses on the beach in New Hampshire um, and up into the southern part of Maine. So we're actually seeing a migration of people who are trying to get out of Boston, just like New York City is currently dealing with this problem. People are trying to get out of New York or like, like you know, into the Hamptons or into South Jersey or wherever. And there's actually now talk about like quarantining whole states because of these movements. So we've been seeing that here. And, you know, I originally thought when I got here that, oh, it'll be great. You know, I'll go to Maine, I'll go to the ocean. And there's just something, I'm sure I said this in an earlier one of these conversations, there's just something very serene about going and standing at the ocean, right? When you might be, I don't know, (laughs) in a shit hits the fan kind of situation, potentially, there's just something comforting about knowing that you're at the edge of it. Uh, But even that hasn't felt super comfortable lately. So uh, the, the point that I'm trying to make leading up to this question is, I've been very careful and, uh, you know, I, like I'm staying with my mom for the time being helping, you know, hopefully being helpful in her adjustment to this and, you know, getting her stocked up and going over safety protocols and trying to, uh, be a good child parent, um, as far as making sure she, she follows them and all that. But, um, I, I want to make sure that my response is while cautious, also measured, and um, I'm just interested in knowing, like, how is your area affected as a like a mediumly populated area by coronavirus currently? And how are you allowing that to dictate your movements or your behaviors or your precautions? Uh, currently in, in my county, there's only been a handful of recorded cases, um, but there have been some. And obviously, we all know that for every one person that actually gets tested and tests positive, there's you know, who knows how many dozen people walking around 
who have it and have fewer no symptoms and will never even know if they had it right right um but it's it's weird because in certain situations things feel very normal and in certain situations things feel very weird and you know the one situation that always feels the weirdest that i've uh dealt with over the past few weeks is the same one that everyone's dealing with right now which is every time you go to the grocery store or you know go to walmart or whatever it it's it it's a reminder right that that things are not normal yeah because there's just so many you can't when you do that you can't ignore it right there's there's people frantically scurrying around with masks on their faces and there's no toilet paper and there's like there's all these there's all these weird things um so you definitely feel it when you do one of those things but then you know you might go to another type of store if it's one that's open that's not like a grocery store or a, or a mart store and everything can seem totally normal. And, yeah. and another thing is there's a lot of people, more than usual, my, my town's got a lot of like bike trails and walking trails and sidewalks along most of, the, most of the major streets. And so there's always a fair number of people out, you know, jogging, riding a bike, whatever, walking. But there's more than usual because people are, you know, home from work and school and the gyms are closed down and whatever. So um, when I go for a run, I see more people than normal out there. But when everyone's out there, they seem normal. People are, you know, smiling, riding their bike, you know, whatever like that. And so in those situations, you could almost forget there's anything going on. But yeah, very the, similar observations here. Yeah, sure. yeah. I will say the, the one thing that there's some parallel to that we do experience periodically here is when there's a big hurricane barreling in. We We do experience some similar things as far as you know, the grocery stores and, and uh, department stores get weird. Certain things get cleaned out all of a sudden. It's some of the same stuff and some different stuff. Obviously, when a hurricane's coming, you don't normally um, run out of, of Lysol wipes. But some of it's the same stuff. You know, food that stores well gets cleaned out. Um, let's see. Toilet paper often gets cleaned out when a hurricane's on the way in. So there's some parallels to that. The, the thing is, though, people are more nervous. I think, yeah. and I certainly am, just because this, there's so many more unknowns. Because when there's a hurricane barreling in on your neighborhood, it's like, that sucks. But you kind of have a mental map in your head of like what that means, right? You know, like, okay, worst case scenario, I don't know, a tree falls on my house. Like, that sucks, but I can wrap my head around. And, and as we know from like great horror fiction and whatever, the unknown is always more scary than the known. Like, no matter how scary the monster is, he's always more scary when you can't see him, right? Jaws proved that. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Like a Hitchcock movie is scarier than, you know, some comparable uh, or competitive horror movie uh, at the time, right? Yeah. Because Hitchcock wouldn't show you the thing. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the other difference with a hurricane is that the tension is much more, you know, long-term, slow and gradual. Because when a hurricane's coming in, you know, you know a handful of days ahead of time, and then it's like, all right. Yeah, you can see it on a radar. You can see yeah. it on the radar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it plays out over a handful of days, and you know, okay, it's either going to stay on track and clobber us, or, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and it'll turn at the last minute and whatever. But it's it's compressed in time, whereas this, I mean, how many weeks has it been since this first started to really amp up? And it's like we're still only in the early stages of how this is all going to play out. So, yeah, I mean, I, th I think Florida, uh, out of the out of the populated states – the high population states, Florida might be one of the better ones to be in for a variety of reasons right now. 
Um, but I could always be wrong about that. Obviously, the best place to be would be like in the middle of Montana or Wyoming or Alaska or someplace right now. That'd be the place to be. But, yeah. you know, if, if you have to be in a state with a fair number of people, probably Florida is one of the better ones for a variety of reasons right now. Sure. So, you know, like I won't go in the supermarket here. I certainly won't um, let my mom go anywhere right now. Um, but, you know, I was up in the northern part of the, the state you know, a couple of days ago. And I went in, I, I sat in the parking lot for about 15 minutes, just watching. I mean, this is another weird kind of uh, consciousness uh, happening now. Um, I sat in the parking lot for 15 minutes and I just watched people's behavior as they kind of went in and out of the store. Is anyone wearing gloves? How do people look? Are they touching handles? You know, these kinds of things. And it was an area like, so far, um, I, I don't. Th I don't think calling an area unaffected is fair because obviously there's a, a psychic effect that goes across the country no matter where people are. This could happen anywhere, and you know, reported cases is not a good metric of how many people are actually walking around potentially spreading it. Uh, obviously, the risk an hour and a half north of where I am right now is considerably lower, uh, but there's still a risk. Uh, but I went into, I waited until the store was empty. I went in and I was just delighted. I treated it like a, like a grocery store. I mean, I still took everything out to the trunk of my car and wiped it down uh, before I touched any of it or ate any of it. But, you know, there was coffee and cheese and cans of chili and like just things that uh, I would be very nervous uh, running around a supermarket finding right now. Um, and unfortunately, I don't think I really have to go to the supermarket. I, I kind of went to the apocalyptic diet, like maybe a little more quickly as far as like non-perishable foods and meal replacement powders and those kinds of things. So I, so I don't have to do that. But I know I know like people in my family are getting restless and they're also having trouble adjusting to, you know, this new situation and not just being able to have like you know, my mom said to me the other day, I want to make beef stew. And I, I don't have any beef. So, you know, I, there's, there's farms here, you know, so the free state projects here, they have a big farm up, uh, up in the Northern part of the state. So I, I called them to get meat, um, which is, you know, a wonderful compromise as far as I'm concerned, but just the continual conversation about sacrifice and changing behavior, um, is, it, it, it's, it's been ongoing here for sure. So I don't know if you still feel just comfortable going out and, going into places and um, the other, the kind of segue here is you're a parent and you have children who are in their teens or approaching their teens. And it's an age where obviously they're not oblivious to what's going on. Um, and the social lives are really, really important to them. So in addition to talking about, you know, behavior changes that, you know, you're making or have made, what is it like, or how have you approached that subject with your kids? Sure. Yeah. Well, as far as my behavior changes, I mean, I, I had the advantage going into this that I've been somewhat of a prepper, like forever. Yeah. And so, you know, I've got my, and, and the most likely event for me always is a hurricane, but you know, a lot of the stuff you would stockpile for a hurricane, like mountain house food and whatever, um, that comes in handy in almost any kind of disaster. So, so I've got the advantage there. Obviously my preps did not include mountains of Lysol wipes and Purell, but, um, you know, I, I do usually have at least a month's worth of toilet paper in my house all the time. Um, and then my hobbies include things like, um, you know, martial arts and shooting and stuff like that. So, 
so these are hobbies that suddenly look like, well, at least I got, at least I've been doing that for a while. So if I, if I do have to fight off the zombie hordes, uh, I've got a, I've got a reasonable shot at it. So I think that's helped me cope with it better than someone who's like completely unprepared and like can't even handle, you know, the power out for being a couple of day, being out for a couple of days because of a hurricane. Right. Um, so that's helped me, but I've been, I've been doing my best to try and like shore up my preps when I'm able to here and there. And so, you know, I, I go to the store and I, I do social distancing. I, I stay a little bit further away from people than I normally do. But, you know, as a as an introverted guy, I've I've been doing social distancing since before it was cool. So sure, yeah. that's that does that doesn't feel so so uh, different to me. Um, and I take reasonable precautions. You know, I I purell my hands as soon as I get out, and you know, I wipe things down and whatever. Um, but I'm not I'm not going completely 100% airtight on on everything. Um, I'll admit that. I mean, I, I think I'm doing what are reasonable precautions. And, you know, that, I don't know, there's a certain level, like, if it's going to get through, it's going to get through. I don't know. I have, I have a certain amount of fatalism that, like, well, maybe I'll get sick. I'm doing most of the reasonable things to to reduce the odds. But, I don't know, there's a certain level beyond which I'm not willing to go, which I might be if this was like a a a disease that had like a 50% kill rate or something like that. Right. You know? No, I think there has to be like a healthy uh, dose of fatalism in all of this, right? Like uh, the, the serenity of what you knowing what you can change and what you can't as the old prayer. Goes, right. Right. And yeah, yeah. the best way to feel good is like, okay, do I take care of my immune system? Do I eat as, as well as I can, uh, you know, given the circumstances, Am I being active? Am I taking care of myself mentally? You know, so I'm not like overly anxious or stressed, things that I'm certainly prone to. Um, if the answer to those questions is yes, and, you know, I'm just following the, the basic safety protocols of, um, you know, wipe these things off, wash hands, don't touch, don't put fingers in mouth. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, there's, there's some level of relaxation and just like I'm doing the right things. Um, a fair amount of this is out of my control, but that's, you know, no excuse to be reckless. And then I feel like every, every one of these conversations since the beginning, I've talked about just finding the balance and all that stuff. And it's obviously, uh, it has to adjust from day to day and week to week as the situation changes. Like, you know, if the area that I'm in becomes more heavily affected, then yeah, I'll have to be, I'll, I'll have to add a dose of caution to, uh, you know, the, the ratio of caution to fatalism will, will obviously go up as the circumstances change. Yeah, yeah, and everybody's got to adjust it. Obviously, as circumstances change, and everybody has to figure out what makes the most reasonable sense uh, for their individual situation. Obviously, if I was a seventy-five-year-old with some sort of compromised immune system, on top of that, I'd be way more OCD than I am. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's already it's already stressful enough right now just to go to the store and make a grocery run. I don't I don't need to to make it even worse on myself by saying, oh, I've got to have an airtight, you know, sanitization protocol and, and I'm going to, you know, who, who knows what, just like Lysol the entire um, inside and outside of my car every time I use it. And, you know. Yeah. I mean, um, my friend Daryl, who's a, you know, a holistic health practitioner, Daryl Becker and the audience knows him. He was saying to us, he's like, you know, also uh, be careful with Lysol. Like that's not good for you either. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as far as the kids situation, my wife and I have been, making a conscious effort to sort of have that balance of not, not shielding them from it. Aside from the fact that, you know, the internet exists. So like they're, they're going to be able to look up whatever 
uh, information or news they want to. I mean, when this thing first started to break, my 11-year-old was like, all right, I'm going to start doing some research to understand this disease, you know, and she starts yeah, yeah, yeah. Google, Googling stuff up and reading things and whatever, and I didn't, I didn't stop her from that and uh, anything like that. Um, and so what we've been doing is having this sort of balance where you're not, you're not lying to them or lying by omission, but you're not dwelling on it. And so um, we, we limit, my wife and I, you know, how much time we spend each day looking at the news and checking in on that. You know, we keep that, keep that very limited. And then, you know, we're trying to also limit how much we talk about it in front of them. Again, not, not to have them be oblivious to it because we have had multiple serious conversations with them about what's going on and what could happen and all these sorts of things. But, but to keep it limited in terms of how much time you spend on it and at the same time trying to spin it positive both for ourselves uh, and also for our kids spinning it positive in terms of like well you know there's all this stuff you normally do that you can't do now but think about all the cool stuff you could do right and so you know they and us coming up with activities to do at home um, things to do outside projects um you know, watching cool stuff on, on the streaming services, like whatever it is. What's the most, sure. uh, what's the most inventive and novel thing you've, uh, you've come up with? Um, or the kids, I guess. Yeah, th- this is one, I don't know if it'll happen because it's been pretty hot so far, uh, here the past few weeks, but, um, my, my 11 year old suggested that we do the old, put up the tent in the backyard and camp out one night. Um, probably the weather is, is not gonna, gonna help us to want to do this because it's been pretty hot and humid lately, but, um, yeah, that's a good one. And, and another one, and this is not very creative, but, um, at least every other day I've been taking my kids on either a hike or a bike ride, like a long one, you know, like hike two, three miles, ride the bike five, six miles, something like that. Yeah. And so, you know, that gives, gets them out of the house and gets them some some sunshine and some exercise and um you know take takes their mind off things and me too for that matter right and you get get out of that cabin fever in an in an environment where things are safe you know you're you're not up close with a bunch of people and all that kind of stuff you're spread out on a trail or whatever um and they've really been enjoying it and I have too and i've got to say my kids they have impressed me the past few weeks they get up pretty early a lot of mornings, so they're not always. But first thing they do, and they do this together, they before they eat breakfast, they will work out. They they have um, you know these workout videos that they stream, and they've got their yoga mats, and they've got a few different sets of dumbbells and things like this. And so they get up and they work out first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And um, and I I didn't make them do this. I didn't tell them to do this obviously i'm supportive and encouraging and i you know tell them like it's it's really great and whatever but and you're modeling the shit out of it for them too yeah 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 well that's that's one thing i've noticed in general ever since um you know i lost 125 pounds and got fit and healthy and whatever is my kids started wanting to exercise more just because of monkey see monkey do right yeah yeah um and, and i've you know i've refrained from being preachy about it i've refrained from any any sort of like you should do this and pressure or whatever. It's just, you know, I compliment them when they, when they work really hard or do something new or whatever. But, you know, um, 
that's that that's it's been really really positive to see that and obviously i'm taking advantage of the fact that i don't have to commute into work 5 days a week like i would be doing right now sure so i can spend more time with them i can take them for an hour bike ride in the morning or whatever it is you know we can have a family game night almost any night right now so um yeah i mean it's it's been it's been pretty positive and i i think so far at least we've done pretty well finding that balance between having them kind of understand what's going on and not being oblivious to it, but not giving, not freaking them out. Right. Not, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're having some anxiety about certain things and whatever. I, I'm sure they are, but, but and not, they, they haven't said it. anything to you about like, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. Oh yeah. 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 There, there've been a few things like that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Or questions yeah. like what if I, w- I would think that at that age um, where obviously there, there is like, you know, an information stream into their lives just through the time they spend uh, on the internet that there would be like a lot of what ifs, you know, like what if this happens? What if that happens? And I I think it's a natural thing for somebody that age to do who, I mean, obviously, you know, your family is different than most, but like just being that age and not having a lot of power. And for me, and like reflecting on that experience and being in school and having no control there, you tend to do that. What ifing a lot more when, sure, you know, there's so many things that are completely out of your control. Yeah. Yeah. And like I was saying before in a different context, right? The monster that you can see is always a little bit less scary than the monster you can't see. And so I think it actually does help to discuss with children in a, in a measured, balanced, reasonable way. That's not going too hysterical one way or the other the the dangers of of situations or whatever you know I, I take the same approach when when for example speaking with my kids about something like drugs and alcohol right where i'm not going to i'm not going to tell them the reefer madness lies about that these things are going to just you know kill you or destroy you or whatever sure um but to to be realistic be like well you know these are the these are the risks these are the the real things that can that can happen to your health um you know certain things are okay in moderation uh but you know you have to be careful because some people um, can't do moderation with certain things or whatever. And so I'm, I'm trying to just sort of map that overall, that overall reasonable kind of attitude onto how we're handling this. And and one thing that that kids want, I think, from whoever are the adult authority figures who are kind of running their lives, is they want to know deep down that the adults not that they're not that they're perfect or all knowing or whatever but that the adults are competent and sure. that, that the adults in a way that they're in that the adults are in charge right and so this is why you know i think it's important to like try not to not that not that anyone can do this 100% but try to minimize how often you lose your cool in front of your kids over anything um, because the, one of the scariest things I think for a kid is any sort of a feeling that a parent or other authority figure is not even in control of themselves. Uh, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, this goes back to, you know, the things that I just realized, not as a parent, obviously, but like working in education and, and working in residential settings with like really challenged populations as far as like, emotional issues and behavior is concerned. You can have a lot of fun and you can experience a lot of freedom in environments that are like orderly, 
predictable, well-planned, you know, those kinds of things. Like if you have stability, lots of nice things can happen. You know what I mean? And, and not to go too far in the way of order, but, um, young people, again, maybe it, it it comes down to, you know, a, a, a subtle recognition of how much they just don't control. Um, even like, you know, I, if I need something from the store and I'm 14, I just can't, there's like a negotiation involved in that. Um, and, and we forget that as we, as we, as we grow up and those things don't apply to us anymore, but already feeling so out of control in so many areas of life, having, having that stability of environment, whether we're talking about, you know, a boarding school with, you know, kids who are on their way into or out of juvenile jail or just a typical unschooling family, um, that's I, I think necessary to to really create an environment where where people feel comfortable and with that comfort and with that trust, um, you know, lots of good things can happen. Yeah, there's definitely this this sort of Aristotelian or Taoist balance, I think, between um, having sufficient order, you know, in a household but not having it become too rigid and too oppressive sure that that is is beneficial and that kids respond positively to and it's interesting again i'm not saying we're perfect but i, I think my wife and i generally do a, a pretty good job on this and the evidence for this that i have is whenever my kids friends will like come spend the day over here or have a sleepover or um some of like you know my siblings kids will come over or something like that they usually end up responding very well to being in our house. They usually like will constantly say how much they enjoy being over here and that sort of thing. And also they'll typically behave better when they're at our house. And it's not because we're like yelling at them all the time or anything like that. They'll, they'll just, they'll respond positively to that, you know, reasonable, stable, orderly but not too orderly environment um and so they'll actually and also too they might be emulating my kids who who generally are you know very nice and polite and calm and whatever mm-hmm. but i'll see i'll see kids who when i see them at their own house they're just completely insane and you know uh just acting like complete savages and then they'll, they'll come over to my house and within an hour or two they're like ned flanders's kids almost you know right yeah yeah well i mean you're a common guy too i'm sure it's a uh uh, calming household. Most of the time, most of the time, every now and then I'll, I'll light up about something stupid, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually one of my listeners a while back referred to me as anarchy's smooth operator. I love it. That's so true. Yeah. So that being said, final question um, brings us all the way back to about uh, back to worldview. What opportunities are you looking to cultivate like personally or even like philosophically or hoping Mm. could be cultivated in a time like this at the individual level or at the, the yeah, I would say we could do both. You could start with the individual level and then maybe we could, we could discover some kind of silver lining in all of the, um, the doom and gloom that we opened with. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we all know the, the old cliche, right? That, um, crisis is an opportunity, and some people might remember Rahm Emanuel saying that back in 2009 about the economic crash. And Never let a crisis right, go the, to waste. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the one. And the, the, 
you know, the state will opportunistically use prices to help itself out at our expense. But I think in most instances, unless it's just completely catastrophic, that there are opportunities in a crisis in a positive sense from an individual's perspective. Now, I know it's going to vary the exact balance between opportunities versus bad things happening in everybody's situation. Like, I'm lucky in that my job was relatively not that hard to transition to online for the time being. And I don't have to worry, at least, you know, for the foreseeable future about not getting a paycheck. And, you know, I was already reasonably prepared just because I'm sort of a moderate prepper anyway. And so I understand that there's a certain amount of of um, advantages I have over many other people who are facing worse things already in the situation. Um, that said, you know, in the early weeks of this first really snowballing in a big way, I was I was pretty anxious and, and depressed and, and not in a good place mentally. And I really kind of had to sit down and have a conversation with myself about like how I'm going to handle this. And what I decided is um, I have to figure out how to be anti-fragile, right? I have to figure out how to turn these problems and adversities, which Again, I'm not having as many as some other people who who are less fortunate right now right. than me. But I, but I certainly, you know, everyone's getting problems from this. No, nobody's getting nothing but upside from this. I don't think, other than maybe the the Charmin toilet paper company or something. But I kind of realized, like, okay, for my own benefit and for my own psychological health, I need to really focus hard on the opportunities for me to improve myself and, and to do things that will improve my life and, and make things better in some way and focus on that much more so than the big picture, which is, which is obviously very ominous. And so for me, um, one of the first things I started to do when things started to shut down was I started to order some home exercise equipment and I'm starting to put together a little rudimentary home gym. and that was a big thing. I said, I've got to be able to keep working out. I can't let this, you know, the fact that the gym and the martial arts dojo are closed down right now, I can't let that get in the way of me um, staying healthy and getting, you know, stronger every day and whatever. So I've been running every other day. I've been doing body weight exercises and yoga almost every day. I've been doing some of my home gym stuff a lot. What's your and home so, gym? Right now it's pretty rudimentary. Right now, other than a yoga mat, it's, um, I got a little pair of, of dip bars that you can use for a bunch of different bodyweight exercises. Sure. And yeah. I've got some kettlebells and I've got, um, should be arriving in the next day or two, a pull-up bar coming, one of the ones that you, you brace in a doorway. This is and, my home um, gym. We have the same, we go to the same home gym, CJ. Uh, I got <laughs> yeah, kettlebells like and a pull-up bar and I'm, I'm trying to, uh, just like, I, I think I can make it work. Obviously you can make it work with nothing, but, um, there, there, there's something that kind of aids in motivation in just having like, especially if you're transitioning from gyms that have everything yeah. and you, you in, in this initial with all this other stuff going on and how taxing it can be mentally, it can also be draining physically. And um, yeah, I mean, I've done some great and interesting workouts at home, but I'm not on the same um level of intensity that I was when I could go to the gym every day. And so I'm still, I'm still adjusting to that. And, um, just, yeah, I was just interested in what you have and what you're, 
planning to obtain because I could add a few more things and, and feel more motivated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've got back ordered on Amazon because I'm sure you noticed, right, that home fitness equipment disappeared real fast, like almost as fast as toilet paper. Right. Um, I, I got over at Target the other day, I got the last two they had of um, adjustable dumbbells, right, where, where you can slide plates in, in uh, and out of them. And, but there are, of course, no plates for it. So I got to wait, figure out where to get plates. Amazon is cleaned out of all kinds of home, home fitness equipment. Um, I ordered my dip bars and my pull-up bar, like right before those things disappeared forever off Amazon. Mm. Um, but you know, once I get some plates for those dumbbells, I'll be able to do a bunch more stuff. And then I've got back ordered on Amazon, an adjustable, uh, bench, a little, a little bench that, you know, does incline and all that, that also, once I have that and plates for my dumbbells, I'll be able to do a bunch of stuff. I'll be able to do dumbbell presses and rows and, you know, a variety of stuff. And I'll, I'll be able to hit most of the muscles I want to hit reasonably well, right? I mean, you can't, you know, unless you're going to go out and order a squat rack and an Olympic bar and all that stuff, like you're, you're not going to be doing heavy deadlifts and squats. Um, no, at yeah. home, but, but you can right. do something. No, yeah, absolutely. And you can just really destroy yourself. I mean, in a good way with kettlebells, like you can really yes. get... Uh, a super intense workout and they're super they're really efficient too so that's definitely i mean and, and that's probably on the side of things that people are a little less interested in than other like all in one like remember the total gym or the bowflex or something right. i would imagine those things would be more power just dumbbell sets those kinds of things but then you can even go a step more into the obscure with like sandbags I'm not going to be one of those guys with the, I don't know if you've ever seen like the on it videos where the guy's got like a steel mace and he's like dancing with it. I'm not, I'm just not going there. Just right, like, I'm, right. I'm just like if, if planet fitness uh, or uh, planet fitness opens and guarantees my safety, I'm not going there either. There's just things for fitness I will not do. But um, yeah. And swinging one of those weird things and dancing around with it. It's just, it's not for me. I don't think I'd enjoy that, but yeah, like sandbags, kettlebells. I, 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 I'm happy that I have a pair. I'm happy that I have the pull up bar and I'm, I'm looking for, inventive new things uh as yeah. well maybe climbing yeah, like yeah. climbing trees would be no not a time to need to go to the hospital never mind strike climbing yeah trees. yeah yeah everyone I'm, listening I'm anyway so yeah everyone listening pretended i edited that out of the conversation but yeah I would. yeah yeah you don't you don't want to go to the hospital for anything right now exactly so um I, any, I mean, so that's, yeah, I guess that's more the, the personal opportunity side of it, but you can keep going with that because uh, certainly well, there's well, more. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously for me as an individual, one of the things I'm looking at, and this hasn't kicked in yet because I'm, I'm pretty busy right now with getting my online versions of my classes set up. Yeah. So last week and this week and probably next week, I'll be pretty busy with day job from home stuff. But once I have those online versions of those classes up and running and complete, then I'll be able to spend more time than usual working on podcast related stuff. And so I am going to, you know, really try and make the most of it as far as trying to do more dangerous history podcasting and finally get my other podcast up and running over the next few months that I've had in the planning stages and whatever for over a year now, the Gorilla Scholar Warrior podcast. So I'm going to, I'm going to take this opportunity provided by having all this extra free time at home to really make the most of those things. And just in general, I'm trying to develop my own human capital and not, not just in terms of things to monetize, but just like projects and skills and things that I've wanted to do and just haven't had the time for. And I'll give you just one example of what I'm talking about. I've, I've been a guitar player since I was 12 and 
I know a ton of songs and, and you know, I, I know a ton of techniques and whatever, but I'm going to take some of this free time that I'm going to have over the next few months. And I've got a list of difficult songs that I've wanted to sit down and learn how to play for years mm. but that I just haven't had the spare time. Cause I've been so busy, you know, I've got kids and a job and a, and a side hustle podcast and all these other things that I do and exercise and hobbies and whatever. And so there's this whole list of songs that I've like always thought, Oh, it'd be real cool to learn how to play that song. And You're just trying to learn them from tabs or. Uh, in some cases, if they're really difficult, there's, I can do a fair amount by ear. Okay. But yeah. I mean, something that's like really technical and in- intricate and whatever. Yeah. I'll, I'll use uh, tab or, or sheet music or something like that. What's an example? Like, Not that you will be held accountable to learn it like over the next three months, but I'm just curious, like a, a really challenging song that maybe you looked at the tabs and was like, oh God, because I, when I used to mess around with guitar, there would be like, I would really aspire to be able to do something. And then I would look at the tabs and be like, no, not yet. Don't get ahead of yourself. Yeah. Well, here are a couple that I've toyed with a little bit over the past few years, but never really had the focus time to really get them worked out right. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is Orange Blossom Special, which is a, is a famous uh, country song that originally features like this crazy wild fiddle playing, but there have been versions of it done with um, electric guitar and whatever that are out there. And it's basically just like imagine like super, super high speed, kind of bluegrassy country, very clean and precise uh, picking. It's, it's not easy to, to, to play it right. Do you have so a favorite version, a favorite version of that? Uh, if you want just a wild over the top one, look up a guy named, I think it's Johnny Highland. Yeah. And he has an instrumental guitar version of it that is just like, I mean, it's it just, I'm never going to be able to play it the way he does, but I'll, I'll see how close I can come. And it's called um, Orange, then, what's it called? Orange Blossom Special. It's actually a song about Florida. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's one. And another one that I've been working on a little bit off and on is, uh, it's called Music for a Found Harmonium. Mm-hmm. And it's one of these songs that most people don't know the name, but as soon as you hear the tune, you'll recognize it. And it's been in a bunch of soundtracks in movies over the years. Um, one place I know it was in was in Napoleon Dynamite. There's this sort of like montage scene, I think, towards the end of the movie where that's the song that's playing, Music for a Found Harmonium. And it's originally played on harmonium, which is this sort of like, I don't even know, kind of accordion sort of a thing, or or maybe it's like an organ sort of a thing. I'm not even sure. Mm-hmm. But it's this, people will probably know it when they hear it, if they look it up. But anyway, I'm, I'm looking to learn how to play it properly on guitar. Gotcha. So uh, just a final question. Uh, any other silver linings that you might imagine emerging from? all the negativity, fear, anxiety right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in terms of the big picture, I mean, obviously if the economy gets too much worse, it'll probably cause all sorts of problems. And obviously there's always the possibility that the disease could, could be more harmful than we think as far as, you know, how many people it kills and whatever. And there's always the possibility for civil unrest and there's always the possibility for war and a bunch of other things. Um, as far as, as possible upsides, if none of those things goes too off the rails and goes too dark, and if Leviathan doesn't clamp down too, too much because of all this, I think there's, there's the possibility, and this is something we see um, happening to some extent with regards to 
and with World War II, at least in the U.S. for that matter, which is it might cause some people, and, and I don't know for how long, how temporary this will be or whatever, but it might cause some people to kind of appreciate everything a little bit more, to, to appreciate their, their family, uh, to appreciate all the positive things in their life, to realize like when you go to the store and there's no empty shelves, that's a miracle, right? That's an eye pencil miracle. Yeah. And yeah. you know, just the fact that like, at least through all this, the power's still on and the internet's still on. That's one thing that's better than, than a hurricane. And that people will appreciate things. You know, one thing I've been trying to do consciously when I am out in the world, uh, going to the store and whatever, is I've been trying consciously to, as much as I can within, you know, the norms of social distancing and whatever, to project with every person I interact with a, a degree of, of friendliness and calm and whatever more than I normally would like to really make an effort to smile at people to, to really, you know, like I, I, I don't say bye to people now. I say, take care. Right. Mm -hmm. um, those sorts of things. And, and it seems like people are responding to that, right. That the, the cashier at the grocery store or whatever, you know, um, I'm, I'm being extra pleasant and extra kind and, and trying to do that, you know, as much as I can in my, in my own little bubble. And so it's possible that maybe I'm not the only person who's, who's having that sort of a reaction to this, that like, I need to be considerate. I need to be patient, right? When, when someone's in front of me being slow at, in line at the checkout or whatever, like, I need to be patient. Absolutely. I need to not lose my mind. Right. So I think about if, if enough individuals had that, that response to it, I think that that could have a big collective effect and, you know, who knows how long it would last, but you know, this happened for at least a little while after nine 11 for yeah. sure. People were yeah. more friendly and more appreciative of things. And, and definitely um, it seems like from what I know that that sort of thing happened to some degree in America during and after world war two, where, where there was more of a, you know, Hey, let's all, let's all be cool. Right. That's, that's, I, if, if I could just tell like the world something right now, I'd be like, just be cool. Yeah. And you know, it'll, everything will be less bad if everybody's just cool. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely feel like a consciousness raising uh, when I already thought I was uh, a pretty like, you know, self-aware and living consciously person, like really um, thinking about, what do I look like right now? What's my posture right now? Because, uh, like I said in a previous show, I've I've screwed up a couple of times. You know, like I made a couple of people uncomfortable, um, two that I can think of, and uh, I didn't like the way that felt, and I didn't like that they had to carry whatever that negative energy is into into the rest of their world, and I, I couldn't you know correct it or apologize for it. So yeah, I think that's that's a really important thing to to be point out. And while our consciousness is raised about all these other routines that we have to follow, like washing our hands and wiping off our groceries, um, I'm I'm just hoping that it continues to extend into, um, you know, the way people are towards each other. And, yeah, and yeah. So there's definitely other. yeah, there's definitely the possibility of there being some positive effect on that level. Again, provided that the other other potential problem areas don't spiral out of control badly and 
you know, it turns into a full-on zombie apocalypse. Obviously. Well, no, I mean, I think we'll see the best of humanity and we'll see, and we're already seeing a lot of that, right? And if this is the calm before the storm where the best of humanity is an easier thing to emerge, great. Uh, we'll also see the worst of humanity. I mean, it, humanity, excuse me, it's inevitable and it's coming. And, you know, while I was deliberating, um, going back to Pittsburgh, uh, because I came uh, to do, I, I was able to do what I came to New Hampshire to do. And then I'm thinking about, well, I traded control over my environment. I can trade it. I traded privacy. Uh, I came back here to be close to my significant other. She is now working from home. So I could take her home with me at this point. So, um, but then it was a question of like, all right, how much am I currently taking for granted the sense of safety that I have being in New Hampshire versus being in a city with close proximity to not so nice areas where uh, the kinds of places where the worst of humanity will emerge first. And I decided I needed an, another month to to gather information to see what happens before I can make that decision. Pittsburgh is a friendly, neighborly city, and things seem under control there now. Um, in a month, I'll know more uh, as to whether or not that's that's going to be the case. But yeah, I, I think that that's a, the the place that is uh, my home now. There um, will. Is definitely always a showcase of both, right? It's it's one of the most friendly places I've ever been, but I also know that there's there's a lot of poverty and a lot of desperation, um, not too far away from where I live. So that was my it was one of my many motivators, probably like third or fourth on my list of getting out of there when I did, just to see. I mean, I, I thought all that stuff could have escalated a lot quickly, like just in a in a panic. Like it, when you saw the panic buying how far was like the panic property crime behind it? And right. I mean, I think it's coming. Uh, and from, from what I heard, it's already upticking there, but yeah, uh, I might've jumped the gun. I might've been able to stay there for another month or so, but, and, and I might be safe there in a month. I don't, who knows, but I'm, the point right. is, I think we're going to see both. I think we're going to see people rise to the occasion in the very ways that you're talking about. And we're going to see a lot of people, um, absolutely lose whatever is left of you know the minds they had when this thing started and and that could be very ugly and you know there's a lot of like middle ground too right now where um you know these i certainly i don't think anybody who's listened to the show is going to interpret this as me saying do what the government says to do but we're sort of watching this cause and effect right now where the government is like uh, in, you know state by state uh, you know governors are you know issuing these orders like this is stay at home, this is shelter in place. And the people to some degree um, are going about their lives uh, business as usual, maybe more than what would be advisable if they don't want another level of crackdown to come. And I totally understand that. I totally understand that people want normalcy and they want to feel like things are okay. But um, you know, going to Maine, going to the beach and the beach is just the, the parking lot at the beach is full. Uh, the other day, right. and I'm just like, oh shit! It's not like, yeah, good for these people. They're, um, you know, defying the order to stay home. Obviously, in this situation, there's no way in hell I would say that. But it's also like, oh, they're just inviting the next step if they don't change their behavior, you know? So right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I will say the point, the point is we'll see both we're, we're going to, we're going to see both. And then I think there's a lot of people who are maybe in the middle. Like there's a lot of people who are just primed for social unrest. Um, and there's a lot of people who are positioned to um, be exemplars of, of how to deal with the crisis. And 
uh, there's a bunch of people in the middle who might go one way or the other. So we'll see. Hopefully that yeah. was positive enough, though. I really appreciate the <laughs> the strong, constructive finish to the to the show, CJ. And it was uh, it's always great to talk to you. We should do it again soon. We're, since we're both going to have, uh, hopefully, once um, we find some equilibrium with groundlessness, if there could be such a thing, um, uh, we, we can be we can be doing more stuff together, like we've always talked about. And I would love that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My schedule, even right now, when I'm kind of busy day to day setting up my online classes. The cool part though is that it's totally flexible when I do that, right? So um so yeah, I've got schedule flexibility like I normally would not have uh, other than during the summer. So definitely, you know, I always enjoy talking with you and yeah, I mean, who knows what we can do with all this extra all this extra time and schedule flexibility, right? Maybe a a 37 part discussion of John Dewey, maybe something like that. You know what? Make it 38. If it was going to be John Dewey, let's make it 38 parts. That's right. right. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So thank you so much. I I really appreciate all the the input. And also, it was great to hear how you're doing. And we will definitely talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the Dangerous History Podcast. And I hope that you found some value in it. If you have and you'd like to contribute to my work, There are many different ways that you can help out. One that costs you nothing but maybe a little bit of time and effort is to help spread the word about the show to anyone you think might be interested in it. There are also a bunch of ways that you can financially assist me to continue doing the work that I do and to continue making it better as best I can as time goes on. The most helpful way and the one that gives you potentially a lot of value back in return is to sign up for a recurring contribution via either Patreon or Subscribestar. And the links to my Patreon page and my Subscribestar page will be in the show notes of this episode. I now have multiple levels of support via either Patreon or Subscribestar. For $2 per month, you are at the Apprentice Scholar Warrior level. And you will get access to all of the vintage DHP episodes, meaning the first 52 episodes of the show, which are no longer available to the general public. And of course, you'll get the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping to keep this podcast going, and you'll have my gratitude for doing so. For only $5 per month, you will be at the Journeyman Scholar Warrior level. And for this, you'll receive the benefits of the $2 Apprentice Scholar Warrior level, plus access to special bonus DHP episodes that are available nowhere else as well as access to ad-free regular DHP episodes as they come out, and you will be eligible to join the Dangerous History Podcast Scholar Warriors private Facebook group. For $15 per month, you will be at the Scholar Warrior level, and you'll get all the benefits of the Journeyman level, plus access to Dangerous History Lyceum course lectures as they are produced and released. And for $25 per month, you'll be at the Master Scholar Warrior level, where you will get all the benefits of the $15 Scholar Warrior level, plus additional benefits still to be determined, but probably including but not limited to a regular live chat. You can also make one-time or recurring contributions to the Dangerous History Podcast via PayPal or Bitcoin. And another great way you can help out my work is by clicking on any of the Amazon affiliate links on my website to do your Amazon.com shopping. And if you buy stuff after going through any of those affiliate links, I get a little commission at no additional cost to you. And this helps me to buy supplies, research materials, etc. 
to keep making the podcast and making the podcast better. I also have an Amazon wish list of things to help me out with the Dangerous History podcast and related productions that I put in the show notes of episodes. It's mostly research materials, but also there's some stuff in there, hardware for audiovisual production, etc. So if you want to order me something off there, that also helps out. Your support and contributions are what keeps this thing going and keeps me doing the work that I do. So I hope that you will consider helping out. This has been another episode of the Dangerous History Podcast. As always, doing my best to help you learn the past, understand the present, and prepare for the future.